Hi there. You are listening to Frequency 3080, a podcast that enables you to level up yourself and be the boss of your own life. Tag along with us on this exciting journey into the world of unknown. So, without wasting any more time, let's get right into it, shall we? Hi everyone. This is your podcaster Hargunjit Kaur. and in today's episode of escape in space we will be debunking space theories today we have dr jasdeep singh bagla with us a professor from aizam mohali to help us understand our universe better and debunk space theories he is an astrophysicist and mainly works on research problems related to cosmology good afternoon sir thank you for taking out time to interact with us we are honored to have you here good afternoon So starting with something we saw as kids whenever we looked up into the sky we see the moon we always wondered how did it even end up there how was it formed but as students of science we now know that there are three theories which say that how the moon could have been formed the first right. one being co-formation theory which means that the uh, the moon was formed in orbit around earth at the same time the earth was formed the capture theory which means a rocky body formed elsewhere in the solar system was attracted into the earth's orbit and giant impact theory also known as the thea impact which means that the moon was formed from the adjective of a collision between the proto earth and the planetism which one of these three do you think is the most probable okay so the uh, out of these three capture theory is the least favored and the reason for that is that when we do chemical analysis of rocks from the moon then uh, the chemical signatures including isotopic signatures uh, meaning things which have decayed radioactively over time they have identical with that of the earth which means that either it has formed along with the earth or it has formed out of the earth uh, out of these two uh, the Uh, impact theory the thea impact theory is uh, favored a little bit more uh, partly because of two reasons one is that even if they formed together the earth and the moon would not be able to retain all the uh, elements in the same proportion because in the early stages when the earth and its atmosphere was very hot uh, a lot of uh, gases would have disappeared and moon certainly would have lost lot more because it actually doesn't have a gravity strong enough to retain an atmosphere so again given the uh, same chemical signatures people tend to favor the impact theory one other reason for favoring the impact theory is that the earth moon system is almost unlike any other planet moon system in the solar system that we know the moon given its size uh, is uh, not much smaller than earth it's less than a factor of 10 smaller uh, whereas if you look at all the other planet uh, satellite pairs uh, the satellites are much 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 smaller they are typically 100th or even smaller than the parent planet the other is that unlike other satellites moon actually orbits in a very close orbit around the earth it's not that far away So for these reasons most astronomers feel that impact theory is likely to be the most successful 
but we cannot rule out the co co-formation theory at this point of time. Okay, sir. And sir, with moon, there lie various stars twinkling in the sky. But even after decades of looking at them, we see that they do not change position from the perspective of Earth. Even when they are constantly moving. So why is it so? Well, the main reason is that they are far away. And if we wanted to detect the motion, we will have to make observations which are far more sensitive than uh, what a human eye can make. Using photographic plates which were introduced uh, for astronomical photography, for astrophotography in 1880s, 1890s, people did start making measurements and they started detecting the motion of stars at that time. Uh, but we know from those observations that almost all the stars that we see move by such a small amount that a human eye will not be able to detect uh, uh, their, their motion. In, in real time or even over some years. At present, the most sensitive uh, probe that we have is something called Gaia, which is uh, sitting in uh, its orbit. Uh, it's, it, it is sitting along the Sun-Earth uh, line, but outside the Earth, away from the Earth. And from there, it has been doing a survey for a few years. The sensitivity of uh, Gaia is such that if you took a two rupee coin, and you flipped it, just turned it around 4 million kilometers away, it will be able to detect the change in angle. Okay, so using that, by now we actually know not only position but also motion of all the stars in the galaxy. Uh, but that is at a level of sensitivity which our eye can never match, and therefore we will not perceive it. Of course, if someone showed us a picture of the night sky, 5,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago, then we may be able to start seeing some changes. It's really interesting. And sir, when we are speaking of stars, there are various types of stars, like neutron stars, which are immensely dense stars and completely made out of neutrons. And when two neutron stars to, uh, form, get together, they form one binary pulsar. So it is said that the binary pulses are observed to have their evolutionary periods shorten over time. Does that mean it's losing energy in some manner or does it hold a different explanation? Yeah, so the explanation there is that uh, they are indeed losing energy and uh, they are losing energy because uh, they are radiating gravitational waves. So gravitational waves are uh, uh, a counterpart of electromagnetic waves like light and light is emitted when charged particles accelerate similarly when masses heavy masses accelerate they emit gravitational waves and pulsars uh, and neutron stars are amongst fairly heavy they are typically heavier than the sun and they are very compact they are uh, only around 10 to 20 kilometers across so when these things move about in a very uh, tight orbit around each other they emit gravitational waves and that leads to a change in orbit. First such binary pulsar was uh, discovered around 50 years ago by uh, Taylor, who was a scientist working at Princeton and his student Hulse. And uh, as soon as it was discovered, people pointed out that uh, if they keep observing this binary pulsar for about 20 years, they should be able to observe the change in its orbit because of emission of gravitational waves 
even though at that stage gravitational waves had never been observed or detected and uh, that certainly happened in uh, early 1990s they made uh, they had enough data to see change in the orbit and they were awarded a nobel prize for it gravitational waves were finally detected only in 2015 which was uh, all about, uh, more than 20 years after they got their nobel prize that's really cool and sir when we zoom out of the stars the moon we see our own milky way galaxy there lies in the center of the galaxy a supermassive black hole the sagittarius a star so why is it so that almost every galaxy that we are observing there is a supermassive black hole as at its center uh we do know that it it is there we still do not know exactly how these things form but we do know that they form very early in the sense that uh, they they form almost as soon as the first galaxies begin to form uh, billions of uh, years ago there are many conjectures there are many hypotheses but uh, as of today we don't have a way of uh, verifying or ruling out many of these conjectures some of the conjectures are that in the very early universe when the universe was more compact and typical densities were higher and the first galaxies were forming gas could cool in a catastrophic manner and suddenly sink into a black hole and they essentially become the seed of the massive very massive black hole that we see today there are other conjectures that stars very massive stars form and uh, when they end their life in a an explosion in a supernova they leave behind a black hole which may be tens of times uh, 10 10 or 20 times the mass of the sun and uh, gradually such black holes come together to form a very massive black hole the difficulty in this particular uh, conjecture is that the time taken for mergers is very very long and the first very massive black holes that we have evidence of were already in existence about 1 1.5 billion years after the start of the universe so we still don't know the answer but we do know for sure that pretty much every galaxy hosts a very massive black hole at the center the mass of the black hole at the center is related to mass of the galaxy so a bigger a galaxy a bigger the bigger the black hole so in our in the case of our own galaxy the uh, black hole has a mass of about 4 million times the mass of the sun uh, there are galaxies uh, where it could be a billion times the mass of the sun so you would have seen pictures from the event horizon telescope which came out about 2 3 years ago where uh, they imaged the shadow of a black hole or a pattern in the sky formed by bending of light uh, by a black hole that particular black hole is more than a billion times the mass of the sun and so the universe that we see it consists of many galaxies like the ones we just talked about scientists have been very active with their research uh, about finding new galaxies new stars and what not but what if the hubble sphere which includes our current observable universe it what happens if at fast forward in future if we are able to observe everything that is present in in that sphere 
will there be a time where we will be able to for, uh, find no more discoveries because our observable universe will become restrained or limited okay so uh, hubble sphere is basically the region of universe that we can observe so uh, essentially light is coming to us from distant parts of the universe we know what is the age of the universe so what we can see today that region will have a radius which is equal to speed of light times the age of the universe and this of course keeps on uh, increasing with time okay we are able to see further and further but so remember it, yeah, go on. so so it will be a never ending so the sphere will keep on increasing it will keep on increasing but it's interesting to note that as we look far away we are also looking back in time right so now when when we are looking back in time we will of course at a later time we'll be able to see a larger chunk of the universe okay but does that mean that i will start seeing more and more and more galaxies as time goes on that is actually not true particularly if the universe the expansion of the universe begins to accelerate so that that can get modified in some sense that is really interesting to know so talking of black holes black holes are one of the most intriguing celestial bodies they have an interesting property that the surface of an event horizon which is the notional boundary will always increase when additional matter of radiation is going to fall into the black hole it has been suggested that this shows some resemblance with the conventional newtonian theory could you please elaborate on that and help us understand its significance and what does it exactly mean so first let us talk about the newtonian uh, discussion of uh, black hole and this started uh, about 200 more than 200 years ago and uh, what people pointed out was that on the earth when i throw up something it falls down if i throw up something much faster it will fall down later but if i throw something up fast enough it will actually escape so there is an escape velocity and we need when we want to launch a satellite or we want to send a spacecraft to the outer solar system we have to make sure that it leaves the earth at a speed which is higher than the escape velocity so what scientists figured out was that uh, the speed of light is very large the speed of light was measured for the first time around 350 years ago and uh, even though the speed of light is very large so they said what happens if the escape velocity escape speed for a mass is more than the speed of light then even light will not be able to escape okay so they said that these will be dark objects which you can never see but you will be able to sense their gravity so uh, this was the newtonian concept of a dark object or a black hole einstein's gravity puts this on a much more robust and uh, rigorous uh, footing and uh, what we find is that in einstein's uh, general theory of relativity the, uh, the 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 radius of a uh, of the event horizon as you put it as the notional boundary of a, a black hole the radius of the event horizon is directly related to the mass 
Okay. So the increase in area with the mass comes from there. There is no escape. So it, it is in some sense a trivial extension. But when people started studying black holes and they also started looking at going beyond the general theory of relativity into the quantum theory, uh, one gentleman, uh, Professor Beckenstein from Israel, he noticed that there are some similarities in relations of black hole parameters and thermodynamics. So he said that just like in thermodynamics, disorder or entropy can never decrease, it can only increase. Similarly, a classical black hole, its mass can only increase, it cannot decrease. And as the mass increases, the area increases. So he postulated that the area of a black hole is in some sense related with entropy. So people who want to study quantum theory of gravity use this as a peg in some sense, because whenever they make a quantum theory of gravity, they should be able to calculate entropy of a black hole. And then whether it satisfies this relation or not, and it turns out that almost all the proposed theories do satisfy it to some extent. That is really good to know. And so then we talk about white holes, the hypothetical regions which emit matter in, uh, from their singularity instead of uh, pulling them in like a black hole would do. So if white holes hypothetically do exist, then is it possible if we could enter a supermassive black hole and then via a wormhole, we will be able to exit through a white hole? Uh, I am not aware of any such solutions. Okay. Uh, the main reason being that when you study the interior of uh, the inside the event horizon of a black hole, uh, something very interesting happens. If you are going forward in time, then you must be falling towards the center. Okay, so it is not that you can roam around inside the event horizon of a black hole, you have to fall towards the center. And the second thing which happens in, in, a, in a black hole is that the forces near the center are such that any material object will be torn apart. So even if you can cook up a solution connecting a black hole and a white hole with a warm hole, a finite sized object will not be able to go through. It will have to be something extremely microscopic. Uh, but even there, I'm not, I'm not personally familiar with solutions of that kind. Just found it really interesting. <laughs> so, and so talking about bootstrap paradox, if we do end up causing a bootstrap paradox, which is a loop where the events of future will always affect the past, would we be stuck in an endless loop? Yeah, so basically the way these are conjectured within the theory of relativity, general theory of relativity, is that you have a closed time-like curve. So a time-like curve, a time-like trajectory is what any object will experience includes you and me, includes electrons, protons, and so on. Because we are massive, we can never move faster than this, even at the speed of light. And therefore, our trajectories always are causally related. Okay? But if we want to have some kind of a loop, then it has to be time-like, otherwise we will not survive. Okay? So, people have tried to construct time-like, closed time-like curves. And uh, there are, I think, a couple of examples where they are able to construct such things. 
but the main difficulty is that this is happening for inanimate inanimate point objects in the theory of relativity when we start applying it to real life we have to deal with disorder and entropy and decay okay so nothing will be endless in that sense yeah somewhat relieving to know <laughs> and this is a really interesting question uh, can we theoretically use a wormhole between time to start building a dyson sphere early and if you uh, like humanity uh, humanity is making such great efforts in science and will it be ever possible and to explain to my listeners a dyson spheres are hypothetically hypothetically formed mega structures which are built around a star to capture large amounts of its solar energy right so dyson sphere was uh, conjectured by uh, freeman dyson and he said that uh, you know uh, all stars have a finite lifetime and eventually they will decay away and they will be replaced later in later stages by something which doesn't shine much which does not give out too much energy so an advanced civilization may want to kind of enclose the star with a huge spherical shell and collect all the light that it can because energy is going to be derived from there so uh, that is the idea of dyson sphere and in fact astronomers have been thinking that in order to discover old technological civilizations maybe they should look for evidence of a dyson sphere around some star okay so th- th- those efforts are uh, going on but uh, again when it comes to time travel there are uh, it's clearly not understood properly even theoretically so i don't think it will be possible to kind of go back in time and start building a dyson sphere but in case of the earth earth sun system we have to note that any dyson sphere which is built uh, needs to be built in the next 4 billion years it's not kind of required tomorrow so there is plenty of time the other thing is that the dyson sphere will have to have uh, will have to be at a distance uh, from the sun which is much larger than the current sun earth distance because at an intermediate stage about 5 billion uh, years down the line sun will bloat up and uh, it will certainly enclose mercury and venus in its in, so they will be inside the sun and it will come very very close to the earth's orbit so therefore anything which we want to build will have to be built further out so it is basically not advised to build a dyson sphere around our own sun no <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of trillions and trillions of years in future how at a point of timeline in universe will we reach the degenerate era the era where all stars would have exhausted their hydrogen fuel and stopped functioning and the light of the universe would be slowly dying out how is it possible that there is no star formation anymore right so as you are aware the universe is expanding and you also know that the expansion of the universe is accelerating which means galaxies are going away from each other groups of galaxies are going away from each other and the way star formation has happened in the past is by galaxies attracting gas from nearby it falls in it cools down settles into the plane of the galaxy and in that 
it forms stars when, once the gas is dense enough but if there is no more gas coming in you have to essentially make do with gas which is already in the galaxy bulk of that is already trapped in stars so some of the stars will explode they will return some gas but part of the mass of the star will remain in a white dwarf star or a neutron star or a black hole so gradually the amount of gas available inside a galaxy for forming stars will keep on reducing and if it goes below a certain minimum it is actually not possible to form stars any longer okay so we see galaxies in the universe which have not formed any stars for the last billion years some that have not formed any stars for several billion years and what happens in these galaxies is that uh, the more massive stars have already died and you are left with less massive stars less massive stars are not so hot not so bright so they gradually become red and faint and uh, they will fade away except that the time scale for fading away is long it, it may take uh, a few tens of billions of years because a star like the sun lives for about 9 to 10 billion years but if i take a star which is uh, half the mass of the sun that will live for about 100 billion years so this makes me think of the next question that will uh, what will the future look like after we have hit the degenerate era well if we if we are talking about future as seen from the earth or within our own galaxy our galaxy is a part of a group of galaxies which have broken away from expansion so they are not going away from each other they are actually going around each other our galaxy and the andromeda galaxy which is nearby they are actually coming towards each other okay so they will bang into each other at some stage so they will form some kind of a larger super galaxy and there are many other smaller galaxies around which will not go away so for us we will stop seeing or for us the light from distant galaxies will keep on going down okay but within the galaxy we will have stars and we will also have a few nearby galaxies which will remain visible for many tens of billions of years so i thought that it would just everything would darken out and there would be no light in the universe anymore no, no, no. so the these smallest stars which exist they actually have a lifetime which is of the order of a trillion years okay so but they are very faint they, they are so faint that uh, 40 years ago we knew only a handful of examples and it is only now with dedicated surveys that we know of thousands of such stars within our own galaxy okay. that's good to know and assuming well that our universe at one point is going to be a graveyard of died out stars and planets what do you think about the theory of many worlds how much do you think that there is a possibility of the everts theory of many worlds being proven by some sort of evidence uh, as everts suggested that there are many infinite number of universes other than the one we live in right so the everts theory of many worlds or in general many world theories are inspired by quantum mechanics because in quantum mechanics for any given starting point there are a number of possibilities which exist in future and only one of them is realized for us right 
so what the many world theory says is that each of the possibilities is actually realized in some world or the other and uh, except that there is no experimental way to verify it as of now because it becomes a different universe uh, of course people are trying people are thinking of uh, trying to set up experiments which will give us some evidence of the existence uh, or rule out the many world theory but i have not seen a, any any so far on this it would be it was even a very drastic proposal which was given by an astronomer that maybe someone should shoot themselves in the head even though the probability of survival is very very small they will survive in some universe except that people in the other universe will not know would be really really interesting if we do end up finding some sort of evidence that they do exist and coming back to the present we see humanity working hard and making further advances into the space do you think that the human efforts of making mars our second home will be successful and if we do end up being successful how would the gravity the atmosphere or the general environment of the planet react to the human made changes well uh there are many challenges and uh, so one challenge which is there is that the gravity of mars is weaker which means that the atmosphere is thinner and uh, one would might think that if we can get a thicker atmosphere that will work but it turns out that that's not the case because of weak gravity the atmosphere will keep escaping to uh, the gases from atmosphere will keep escaping to space the other aspect is that uh, unlike the earth which has a strong magnetic field this magnetic field acts like a shield so whenever there are energetic charged particles coming from the sun they don't land on earth directly they come into the atmosphere only near the poles that is what gives rise to the northern lights aurora and so on mars does not have a magnetic field because it does not have a core right now so there is no protective shield on mars and we will have to if if humans do settle there they'll we'll, that is another point that one has to worry about energetically it may be far easier to set things right on earth instead of uh, trying to colonize mars and make it a habitable planet it may be possible to create some enclosed pockets on mars okay so instead of trying to kind of make the entire planet green make the entire planet livable uh, people are anyway getting used to living with masks so maybe you have domes and inside those domes you can live conditions are uh, fit for uh, life and outside the dome mars remains at it as it is thank you sir that was the last question thank you for joining us you're welcome and uh, i'll be happy if you want to do another session sometime later keep listening to frequency 3080 and do follow us on your favorite podcast platform and instagram handle of sd road track to stay tuned for our future podcast and events